It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Uh, fun message this morning. I'm, uh, even though it's taken a while because of my voice, for any, any of you that are uh, streaming or via podcast, you'll notice that uh, my name suddenly disappeared out of the podcast for quite a few days. I've been on restricted voice use. Uh, my voice just has had uh, issues for the past three and a half weeks. And so <clears throat> it feels fairly normal, but just a little dim, sort of like if I, I've likened it to a damper pedal on a on a piano, where it's just like you're still playing the note, but it's like just a little uh, nipped in its strength. So that's the way I feel. But this is, uh, especially for this series that I'm going through, which is the muscular Christian. That just really stirs me. Uh, you need to have a full voice. You need a preaching voice for that. And I just don't have it. So there's probably some deep spiritual truth found in that, that out of weakness, you know, his strength is made perfect. You know, there's some great theme that God is going to show in and through that, but uh, the title of this one is The Faces of Lions, Getting the Growl in Your Inner Man. Uh, for those that have hung around me for the last uh, decade, decade and a half, uh, I deal a lot with this idea of the growl, and because I, I lack a, a good word for it, uh, there, there's a lot of great words for it in the English and in other languages, but... The word for it in the Hebrew and the Greek is, is so unusual, it's not very easy to throw around unless I introduce you to it. Uh, you know, the Yiddish uh, for the Jews is chutzpah, which is a good word. Uh, it actually has even more chutzpah. Uh, I can't really say it the way uh, a Jew would say it, but it's, it's a great word. It's just sort of like the oomph, the, the stuff, where when you're... In the most audacious moments, everyone sits and you stand. That, that guy has chutzpah. And it's a great word, and that's what we need in our spiritual life. The rest of the world sits, we stand. It doesn't matter what our body is saying. Uh, it may want to collapse, but we rise up and we say, we're going to keep going. And so there is something needed in the spiritual man that just doesn't start out there in the package. You have to deliberately agree to reach out and grab it. Uh, I know many of you have maybe heard the story of a transformation in my life very specifically. I mean, I can mark the moment. And that is from when I became, I went from being just a teacher, almost like a comedic teacher, to a preacher. I'd never, I didn't grow up around preaching, didn't have a clue what preaching was. That's, a, that's not a, 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 some people think I modeled after someone in my communication style. No. In fact, I'm violating everything that I've ever taught. I used to teach highly advanced communications to professionals. And everything I do violates it. In other words, my style of teaching is something that is, it's like a volcano that is awakened within me. And I can mark the day, the moment, even though I don't know the exact time, you know, where I couldn't quote the time, I remember it. And that was when Leslie and I were praying. We had a season of our life we were praying over three hours a day. It's when we wrote Wrestling Prayer came out of that. There's a whole bunch of just extraordinary things. Ellerslie came out of that, that season. And in that season, we were up in our, well, we called it the upper room. And it's where Mike and Krista Hahn live now. There, we used to have a studio 
up there. We had a recording studio. That's where we wrote our books. And so I would pace around. You could just imagine that. And Leslie came up to me and laid her hand on my shoulder and prayed, Lord, make my man to pray like a man. And uh, it was a little taken off guard by the prayer, uh, to be honest, because I couldn't figure out what other option there was for how I was praying. If it wasn't like a man, what was it? And, but I agreed with the prayer, and I don't remember how long, but 30 seconds uh, after that, something started in my life that has never left, and it is a, a fervor. It is a strength. It is a growl, and I remember the next time I spoke publicly, something came out of me that was so strong that it shocked me, and that's what I've been saying yes to for years. It's like, okay, God, I don't care what I sound like. I don't care what I look like. If you want to get out fervor, if you want to get out that strength, you can have this vessel. And so here's what I can say is in my spiritual life, one of the most important things that has ever happened is that there's, I've oftentimes called it being presidential. There have been certain moments where as a leader, I would prefer to have someone else deal with it. It's like, ah, I don't really want to be the one that has to do that. And yet, being presidential, to me, here's what it translates at. It's your job, Eric. You're the man. You do it. It's the squash the bug principle, okay? I don't like bugs any more than my kids do. And so my kids will come running up screaming from the downstairs, not, not Hudson, he lives upstairs. Uh, and, you know, that there's some spider down there. Uh, and so then everyone just sort of looks at me. Well, do you think I want to need, I, do, there's nothing in me that wants to go downstairs and squish a bug, okay? Nothing. And yet being presidential is, yep, I know my job. Let's do this thing. Without pause, without hesitation, without considering how hairy the spider may be. <laughs> it is just, yep, let's do this thing. The man, as we will talk about today, has a job to do. And it is the difficult thing. It is the thing that must be done. Now, it's interesting because if, you, I, if I were to say play the man, that is the idea of do what the man ought to do in that situation. Do you know that sometimes a woman has to play the man? In other words, the man is a symbol of the one that is present tense, responsible to do the hard thing. And do you know that there's times when I could be gone from the house and Leslie is home and the kids may be screaming about a bug and Leslie needs to play the man. Okay, you follow me? Now, if Hudson was there, hey, buddy, you better play the man in that situation. Okay, so in other words, playing the man is to play that role. And what we see in Scripture is there is this picture of that role that must come out, that we must rise up and behave a certain way in our spiritual life. Because in our spiritual life, there are bugs that need to be squished. And yet, to deal with them, it's not just, oh God, could you just deal with all my bugs? He has given us, it's almost like he's given us a spray can. He's like, you have it, you have everything you need, now pick it up, go down into the basement, and spray it. But we would rather just play passive. It's like, oh, I don't want to go in there, I don't want to deal with that. He has given us the authority, he has given us everything we need, now we need to agree with it. We need to allow that strength to flow through us. Okay, so the faces of lions. Now, this scripture, I don't know, it ranks up there for me. It's just there's something about it poetically. 
it, it has this machismo element to it that is really intriguing to my soul. And of the Gadites, they're separated themselves unto David, men of might and men of war fit for the battle, that could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and were as swift as the rose upon the mountains. Now, either these were very funny-looking men, because their faces looked like lions, you know, and if a man looked like a lion, it would be odd, okay? That's a cat. And yet, what I would interpret that to mean all these thousands of years later, is that that would mean that they were serious, fierce, and authoritative in the way they looked. It's like, whoa. When you saw them, they meant business. They had the faces of lions. Lions are the, the chief, the king of beasts. And so if someone has a face of a lion, that means they have the face of authority, the face of strength, the face of confidence. There's something about that that intrigues me. I want my spiritual face when the devil glances my way. Whoa, he's like one of those Gadites. He has the face of a lion. I actually really like the next line. And they were as swift as the rose upon the mountains. I wouldn't mind being spiritually swift like a roe. In other words, this is the desire. When we talk about the muscular Christian, I could have called it the athletic Christian. I don't really care if you're coordinated physically and you're a great athlete physically. God wants to make you a great athlete spiritually. He wants to tone you and hone your muscle spiritually so that you are fit to fight as one of David's mighty men, to literally stand in the battle and to do the business of the kingdom of heaven. And so as a result, that's the parallel I want you to see and to catch as I go through this series, is I want you to catch the grandeur of what we're each invited into. Because, I mean, you could be a delicate, pretty little lady, and yet you're being invited into the epic battle of battles to actually be swift as a row upon the mountain and to have the face of a lion. In other words, your inner man is meant to have the disposition of a mighty man, a mighty man of valor, because the one inside of you, his name is Jesus Christ, and let him speak, let him work, let him live in and through you, let him fight off foes, let him stand firm in the midst of compromise, let him stand when everyone sits, and let him use your body to do it. So if any of you have ever heard my short film uh, called The Ancient War Cry, then you're very familiar with those two terms on the screen. Uh, for those of you via podcast, you're not seeing those two terms. But it's actually, you wouldn't find it in the Bible, but it is out of the Bible. And so uh, the term is rach kasak. Uh, and I can't really say it like a, uh, the Hebrew voice would say it. It has a lot of gr uh, grovel in it. And I also don't have much of a voice to be able to yell it like you'd normally hear me say it. Uh, but it's the actual ancient war cry of the Israelites and when they were in the wilderness. But not just then. When they crossed the Red Sea, it was still their war cry. All the way through David unto Solomon, this was passed down the heritage of the ancient Israel, which then became the war cry of the Jews which is still to this day the war cry of the nation of Israel. And I would say, you know, all the way, it's even in the New Testament is what I'm going to pitch to you, that this is the ancient war cry of faith. This is, this is something that we need to adopt, okay? So whether or not you speak Hebrew, I want you to catch the 
idea behind it. This, this word comes from two words in the Hebrew, which is chasak and amatz. And so where we get rachasak, I, I can't really answer that because I, I'm not a, a linguist in the Hebrew, but that's, that's the phrase. And so even today, if you, you know, like you, you, all these athletes will stick their hands in, in the huddle and then they'll go, one, two, three, let's get them, you know, or, or you know, team, you know, one of those types of things, they'll yell something. That's sort of similar to a war cry, okay? It's a pathetic version of one, but it's sort of similar where to the Israeli military, all you need to do is whisper, rock a sock, and their knuckles turn white. It's like it stirs within them a readiness. It's like they grab the hilt of their sword. They move into battle position. Now, I, I've talked with you guys during the semester, right? Did I have someone stand up and did I shove them? Did, did we ever do that or did I just describe it? Did I just describe it or I haven't even talked with you guys about it at all? Okay, I should have done it somewhere along the line. Brandon, if you want to come up, I can demonstrate it. Uh, Okay, so I, I've usually uh, had someone stand up in the front. I usually do it in the guy time, uh, so maybe that's where I failed. Uh, but I'll do it in the guy time. I'll have a guy stand up, I'll come up and shove him. It's very rude of me. And he'll fly back into his seat. It's very delightful. Uh, and I did it. Wasn't it the last time I did it? I don't know if someone was here, but I shoved him, and he, did, he, he went like this and got right. He didn't fall backwards. I was like, what was that? You're supposed to fall back into your seat. I was like, I picked the wrong guy. So... Every other time but that, the guy goes flying back into his seat, and I said, why did you fall back into your seat? He goes, because you shoved me. And, I, well, I go, what? and so I said, stand up again. And, so he st- and I go, now I'm going to do something different this time. Uh, I am going to tell you before I shove you that I'm going to shove you. I am about to shove you. And so what are you going to do different? He gets into position. It's interesting. His entire bodily position shifts when he knows he's about to be shoved. And so I said, okay, let this be a lesson to all of us. The Bible makes it very clear the devil is coming to shove you. So what should you do? You get into position. In other words, you live with a position instead of a passivity. That's what this word is. This is saying, get into position. We are coming against a hostile foe. So as a result, we live with a posture of readiness for battle. Okay, it's just very different. If you knew someone was going to shove you, believe me, you would not stand there uh, with a gangly frame. You would be in a stiff position, a ready, we call it a wrestling position. You are ready to engage in wrestling, which is a good statement for how spiritual life works. So let's look at Rachasak in, in its origins. So Deuteronomy 11, Deuteronomy is... Moses' speech. You know the entire book of Deuteronomy is one speech, and it's right before Moses is going to uh, pass away. Okay, so it's his last words. His final words is one huge book. This is one of the biggest speeches ever. So if any of you think that I have long sermons, it's nothing compared to this. Therefore, you shall keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that you may be strong, that you may have a sock. And go in and possess the land whither you go to possess it. You need to have that spiritual strength, that gusto of soul, that indomitable soul that does not fear what the enemy can do. So then you see Deuteronomy 31 right near the end. So we're about to make the handoff to Joshua. Okay, remember, this is a symbol of the law 
unto Joshua, who's a symbol of Christ. I mean, the same name. Uh, Yeshua is the same exact name as Jesus. And so what we have is the first handing off to the second. And what you see is a war cry, which is intrinsic to it. Be strong and of good courage. You guys know that statement. That's one of the most famous uh, quoted statements. However, that's the ancient war cry of the Hebrew. That's rock a sock. That is the equivalent of telling a little lamb to go into a lion's lair and steal his dinner. That's how audacious that statement is. They're about to head out against in a nation, nations, I mean, there's 31 hostile nations across that Jordan. 31 hostile nations of giants. And I want you to go in and take their dinner. Sending out sheep among wolves. You've got to be kidding. Be strong and of good courage. You've already won the battle. The one who goes before you is stronger. Do you believe it? If so, go in and take it. In other words, this is the audacity of little sheep who are given the face of a lion. In other words, they are given the authority of a lion to have a disposition of a lion, though they are weaker. And this is the audacity of how the kingdom of heaven is built. It's always been built this way, and it always will be built this way. You are weaker than the one you are coming up against in and of yourself. But the one you are coming up against is weaker than the one who has defeated them already, who is Jesus Christ. And so if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you move forward as if your foe is already defeated. You do not fear what he can do because you know the one in whom you live. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that does go with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Okay, so that's the very end of Deuteronomy. Well, we have another verse right after it. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in sight of all Israel, Be strong and of a good courage, for you must go with this people unto the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them. Thou shalt cause them to inherit it. So Joshua very specifically is even given the commission. Okay, you're going to see David has this and he passes it on to Solomon too. You're going to see this inheritance. It's almost like the baton of fearlessness the baton of audacity. It's the war cry handed on throughout the generations amongst the Jews. So in in the book of Joshua, we're going to see this very phrase in the very, Joshua 1, it's going to come out again. Now Joshua is now using it and speaking it to the people. Hey, we're about to cross the Jordan, be strong and of good courage. In other words, rock hasak, hasak, amats. This is what we do as believers. Do you believe that God is victorious? Do you believe he's stronger? Fear not. Let's go. So there's a place that they come when they're taking the land, and they're actually taking Judah, in this, in this, which is going to later be defined as Judah. At the time, it's not yet defined as Judah, which is interesting to recognize what this territory is. This is the territory of the Jews. And so what we see is God taking this territory in Machedah, is like a cave uh, in the midst of it all. And Makedah means the place of the sheep master. Now, remember the illustration I was giving, which is that you are a weaker foe. You're like sheep, and yet you're being sent out against wolves. And so what you see here is you have the sheep master, which we would usually use the shepherd, but I really liked the term sheep master. I mean, it's like, huh, that, that is a great term for it. It is the master of the sheep, and if the master of the sheep if you're in his place, 
Do you fear the wolves coming into that place and taking it if the sheep master is there? Hey, I feel pretty good as a sheep as long as the sheep master is there. However, I don't want to be any place but the place of the sheep master. And so what all the sheep are brought into the place of the sheep master. And what you see, I mean, this, this whole scene is so profound. Joshua 10. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makedah in peace. None moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then said Joshua, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings unto me out of the cave. And they did so and brought forth those five kings unto him out of the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, and the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So what we have is five Judean, so out of the tribe of Judah, the, the property or the territory of Judah is later, later will be defined. These are all strongholds in it. And these are the kings over those strongholds. So I want you to imagine your life. You're God's chosen territory. You're his prized possession. You're his land that he is coming in to conquer and to take for himself that in and through this land, the glory of God would be manifest. Think about the ancient land of Israel. What's happening in that land? Well, the grand gospel story is being relayed right there. So in Jerusalem, right here, right in this territory that they're, they're in right now, you're going to have everything take place. You're going to have the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ right here. The second coming is going to happen right there too. In other words, all of this is taking place in this territory. Well, what's taking place in you? The grand gospel. This is his territory that he is prizing, that he is after. And so what we see is that there are strongholds in this land, just like in you. In other words, there are strongholds. You have what are, what are the king's names? You have the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. You have lust that might be a stronghold. You have pride that might be a stronghold. You have fear that might be a stronghold. But guess what? Joshua has come to town. And when Joshua comes to town, he's going to show you how it works in the place of the sheep master. Oops. And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war, which went with him, come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. Hey, sheep, come here. Now, these kings are stronger than the sheep themselves. However, Joshua is showing something. So if you were to picture this as Jesus Christ, come near. Whoa, boy, that thing's always ruled me. That thing's always ruled me. Come near. I want to show you who's boss. I want to show you in the place of the sheep master who rules. Come near. Put your feet upon the necks of these kings. Now, even to, to this day, we still have a similar, a similar symbology that to have a foot upon a neck is, means authority, dominion, and control. It means victory over, right? So what you see here is a statement to say it is underneath your feet, isn't that an incredible statement? What's your position? If you're in Christ, you are where he is. And as it says in Ephesians 2, you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What it says in Ephesians 1 is it says all things are under his feet. You've been brought into the body of Christ. His feet are your feet. This foot, the foot of the saints of God, is the foot of Christ. And therefore, what's under his feet? All things. Whoa, 
And so what we see in Makkadah, the place of the sheep master, is God saying, come near, I want to show you how this works. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. He gives the war cry. Rock sock. In what circumstance? He's saying, I want, you to sh- I want to show you how this works. Now, this is what the war cry translates into. You have authority over all I have defeated. I have defeated these kings. They no longer rule over you. Are they stronger than you? Yes. However, I have defeated them. So, if you remain in the place of the sheep master, if you remain in the shadow of the Almighty, if you abide here, you have authority over all things. There is nothing that is not underneath my feet, and you have been given my authority. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of a good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees. Now, listen to the parallel that we are seeing between Christ and his work in the New Testament defeating the strongholds in our life, the powers of sin. Okay? Afterward, Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging upon the trees until the evening. And it came to pass at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, and they took them down off the trees and cast them into the cave wherein they'd been hid and laid a great, great stones in the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. Do you see a parallel with the Joshua that we know, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, and what we just saw there? You see, on a tree, he defeated all the strongholds. And then they were laid in a tomb. And then, though they are still behind big stones, he stepped forth after finishing his work. And if I didn't have a, if I didn't have a, a, a microphone in my hand, I'd do that one sort of brushing your hands off all the dust. It's like, all right, finish that. Any questions? You see, the way that Jesus went to battle is he bore our sin. He nullified the power of the old man and the power of the five kings by carrying that burden on the cross himself. And he was removed at evening and he was put into a grave and a big stone was put in front of it. And our five kings, if you want to say it that way, still to this day remain there. In other words, that is the facts. They are defeated. So as we exercised last week in here, and for those of you that are getting this stream and via podcast, you may not fully understand this, but this is the idea of reckoning, as Paul uses in Romans 6. And I had uh, Devin Priest up here, and Devin Priest had a challenge. We called it the $9 challenge. And it was out that door. It was, it was very dastardly. And, uh, and he didn't have any money in his pocket. And I said, Devin, do you have in your own pockets that which you need to pass that test? And he confessed that he did not. But I had promised him something in the meantime. And that was that there was a $10 bill for him in the back room, straight across from where the girls' bathroom is, un- uh, on a chair underneath a pad, one of those seating pads. And I said, it's his. So I said, do you in your own pockets have what you need to pass the test? And he said, I do not. And then I listened to this. And then I said, but do you have that which you need to pass the test? He said, yes. I said, how do you have that which you need to pass the test? He says, by faith. 
I said, by faith in what? In your word. You see, each one of you is weaker than your opposition. Sin is greater than you. It is more powerful. The flesh is greater than you. The power of the devil and his demonic host is greater than you. Do you have in your own pockets that which you need to defeat him and to stick his neck beneath your feet? No. It's a sad confession, isn't it? It's sort of like, what kind of faith is that? You're going to acknowledge that you in and of yourself do not have what it takes? Yep, I do not. But do you have that which it takes to stick him beneath your feet? Yes. How do you have it? By faith in his word. Very simply put, as Paul would say it throughout the entire New Testament, we have it in Christ. That's what faith in his word means. Faith in the person of Jesus Christ. I am in him. I am in his power. I am in his authority. I am in his gusto and his growl. Macadaw. The place where the sheep master has his sheep put their hooves triumphantly on the neck of the wolves. The necks of the wolves. Isn't that a great place? Don't you want to go there? Yeah. It's the place where the old man, the power of sin, and all the power of hell is crushed. Where is that? Well, it's the cross. It's the grave. You see, this is where he's taken us. He has brought us there. Come near. You see, when we believe in him, we are brought to the cross. We are brought to Macedon, the place of the sheep master. We are brought to that grave, the place where they are laid low. And we are brought into a seated position. You see, we are brought into the place of the sheep master. We have been brought there. So uh, this is an interesting study as we go into the New Testament Greek now. So for Demetrius, this is like he's going to be thriving since, he's from, uh, since he speaks Greek. Uh, he did confess that he doesn't really know Koine Greek, but I think he knows Koine Greek a lot better than us, just naturally. Uh, in the era before gunpowder, all killing was of necessity done hand to hand. So before you could shoot with a gun from far away, all killing by necessity was up close. That's just how battle worked. Okay, so for instance, it's like having a button upstairs in the kitchen that it says, kill uh, hairy spiders. And so you just go, deet, and it's like hairy spiders, wherever they are, just fall off the wall and then disintegrate. It's like, boy, that would be a nice... That's, that's what the invention of gunpowder was to battle. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying I can stand multiple hundreds of yards off and shoot someone now as opposed to get close in the blood, in the fierceness of the battle. Okay, So in the era before gunpowder, all killing of necessity was done hand to hand. For a Greek or Roman warrior to slay his enemy, he had to get so close that there was an equal chance that the enemy's sword or spear would kill him. This produced an ideal of manly virtue, Andrea, in Greek, that prized, that prized valor and honor as highly as victory. So even if you lost in battle, if you fought with Andrea, it was just as important as winning. It was the highest virtue. And what's interesting is what that word means. It means manfulness. It means manliness. This whole idea of hand-to-hand combat, of doing the hardest thing, of going into a battle and engaging with an enemy eye-to-eye and not fearing was the highest virtue. Isn't that just an interesting thing? Just in 
uh, historic civilization, Andrea, meant something very, very significant. So I just introduced you to a word, Andrea, but in the Bible, we have a word, Andrizomai. I wish I could say it even with my deeper voice, but I love this word, Andrizomai. Now, when you take the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament, which is Hebrew and Aramaic, and it's translated right before the coming of Christ, it is translated for the first time. The first time that the Hebrew was ever translated was translated into Koine Greek. And the reason I'm bringing that up, the Septuagint's an interesting study because the Holy Spirit, when he's carrying along the writers of the New Testament, almost exclusively uses the Septuagint as this quotation in the Koine Greek when he's writing the New Testament. So I'm giving the Holy Spirit credit for writing, for carrying along the writers, right? So I'm actually saying the Holy Spirit quoted from a translation. That translation was Greek. So the reason I'm saying this is all has a point. When you look at the ancient war cry, Rakasak in the Old Testament, you know how it's translated throughout the Septuagint? Andrizomai. So when this word is used in the New Testament, it should awaken us to recognize that's the same, that, that's the war cry. And it is the ultimate statement of saying, do what the man would do. Do the man thing. You know what a man would do. And every soldier, you know, yes, sir. Every soldier knows what a man would do. It's an ancient understanding. It's hot-wired in. The man will stand when everyone sits. The man will be bold and brave, though everyone else is a coward. He will not retreat from the battle. He will go forward. He will have the gusto and the, uh, the, the strength. So, Andridzaman. So, here it is. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Quit you like men, I know. If you take that as a direct translation to the English uh, understanding, we would think that means quit being a man. Okay, when in actuality it means be a man. It means do the man thing. Okay, so what the translation would be is, if you put the Greek in there, watch ye stand fast in the faith, and andridzomai, be strong. This is like a parallel with the Old Testament. So you see... Moses handing it off to Joshua, Joshua handing it off to the people of Israel, the people of Israel, it, David inheriting this and ha passing it off to Solomon. And then we see Paul even carrying this torch and handing it off to us, the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, this, is, this is the ancient lineage. So uh, listen to Archilochus. I don't know if I pronounced his name correct. Uh, how, how would you say it, uh, Demetrius? What was that? Did you guys just hear something came out of, out of, I had no idea what that was. Ilocos? Ilocos? No wonder we don't say it that way. Okay, so if any of you heard that, if you didn't hear that in the podcast, it was some weird Greek sounding thing. But he was an ancient Greek poet and mercenary. This is what he says. Be brave, my heart. Plant your feet and square your shoulders to the enemy. Meet him among the man-killing spears. Hold your ground. In victory, do not brag. In defeat, do not weep. I think we could use a little more of this in the way we function spiritually. I'm going to read it again. I want you to imagine this spiritually because back in the ancient days of war, hand-to-hand -hand combat, when that was the way you fought, the issue, I mean, could you imagine being a young boy and recognizing you're going to need to go in amongst the man-killing spears? You're going to have to risk your life. Every boy 
learn to do this. Every boy had to grow up to be a man, and every man had to be a soldier. And so when you were growing up in these ancient civilizations, I mean, including ancient Israel, you were growing up to be a soldier. And so we're, we're a very unusual culture where none of us even dreams of being a soldier. None of us even thinks that way anymore. And so as a result, this idea of spiritual valor is lost. Because I'm not trying to get you to join the military, uh, you know, out there in the U U.S. of A. I'm trying to say this is what we are as spiritual men and women. We are all enlisted in a battle. And we all must have this endrizomai. Be brave, my heart. Plant your feet and square your shoulders to the enemy. Meet him among the man-killing spears. Hold your ground. In victory, do not brag. In defeat, do not weep. The ancients resisted innovation in warfare because they feared it would rob the struggle of honor. They were so afraid of things like gunpowder or a button up in the kitchen that would kill all hairy spiders down in the basement. They were actually afraid of that. Why? Because there is something necessary in the formation of the soul that involves needing to go down those stairs and face the hairy spider. There is something about the formation of strength of character that is lost the moment you begin to distance yourself from the man-killing spears. Isn't that just a weird thought? We are so opposite in how we think. It's like, no, no, I like these inventions. These are wonderful things. However, the ancients feared that this would one day be lost because they saw the formation of character and valor and nobility that flowed out of these exercises. Isn't that just weird? And I get it, actually. Spiritually speaking, when we try and sanitize our life of difficulty, which almost every single one of us is inclined to do, what we lose is what happens as a result. We lose the formation of valor, the formation of honor, the formation of strength. We don't have the face of a lion anymore. We now just have the face of a sheep in the midst of difficulty. But when you are over and over allowing for those tests to grow you stronger, suddenly what you have is the face of a lion, and it terrifies the devil. Because no matter what trial is put in front of you, you smile at it. This is quite the, the statement, okay, guys? So King Agus, can you say, how, do you, how would you say that, Demetrius? No, oh, you, okay. So I can pronounce it any way I want, and we'd be fine. I think it's Agus. Uh, it could be Agus, but Agus? How come it's always something I'm not guessing? Agus, King Agus. Uh, okay, so first of all, before I give the quote, I'm going to read what happens. He wept and exclaimed this when shown a new catapult which could shoot a killing dart 200 yards. So they invent the very thing that the ancients feared, which was to be able to attack from a distance. So this catapult is invented that can throw a, this, you know, what is it, a dart? A killing dart 200 yards. I mean, that's like two, foot, two football fields, right? It's like, oh, we could stay way back here and decimate them. And King August weeps and explains, alas, valor is no more. Isn't that just an incredible thing to say, imagine a church that no longer has difficulty. You know that the, we, when we pray for the 
house church in China, you know what we typically have a tendency to pray? Lord, spare them the sufferings. May you change the communist government and convert them into Christians so that all the house church would be free to serve you without persecution. And you know that what happens when they hear that we're praying that? They panic. And they say, no, no, please stop praying that. You know what we pray for you? We pray for you that you would have the same persecution. And then we're like, no, no, please don't pray that. <laughs> you see, they're stronger because of it. Alas, valor is no more in the American church. Because we have invented a version of Christianity that can have the enemy way out there, persecution way out there, and we can be separate from it and send money to it, send prayers in towards it. We've lost the idea of stepping down the stairs and facing the hairy spider and being the man. So what are we called to be? Little lambs with the faces of lions. So for each one of us, our job is to invite this in, to agree with the formation of nobility within us. God wants to build you stronger, but to get stronger, you have to go to the weight room. To get stronger, you have to exercise, but to exercise in the spiritual life, you have to accept challenge, difficulty, tribulation, and trials of many kinds. And do not consider them strange, my brethren, when you face these trials. This is a gift. And when you face them with a smile instead of a moan, you exercise your soul and you become stronger with every passing day. And that's what the devil fears most. I hope I inspired you at least a little to get that smirk going in your spiritual soul, to not be a pushover to the enemy. You have been given everything you need for life and godliness. Let's pray. Father, make us little lambs with the faces of lions. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, and I ask that you would do it in our lives. We need this, Lord Jesus. We need you to firm us up. We need you to make us stout-hearted. Give us foreheads of flint, spines of steel. Cause us to stand when everyone sits, to speak when everyone else is silent. Lord, we need something more, and we invite it today. We love you, and we trust you. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.